Hello and welcome to the Essential B2B podcast, brought to you as ever by Lead Forensics. I am your host, Joe Ducaro. I was joined by Rich Khan from Anura, who is an expert in all things ad fraud. He's got some amazing statistics behind exactly how much ad fraud is going on and what you can do to prevent it, or at least minimise it. <laughs> so, without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Essential B2B podcast. When I was younger, I was always taught if you're going to be discussing anything, rule one is define your terms. So what do we mean by advertising fraud? What, what is it? Why is it a significant concern to us? Um, advertising fraud, the way we define it, is typically um, somebody other than a real person interacting with your uh, advertising budget. So typically bots, malware, or human fraud forms um, clicking on ads for the sole purpose of making money directly or indirectly. Um, that's technically our definition. So the reason why we bring it up is, is such a big problem is last year as a global society, we tipped over $500 billion in ad spend, uh, on digital marketing, big number. Well, it's estimated that over a hundred billion was stolen to ad fraud. It, was but, that just last year alone? Was that sorry? Just last year. That's madness. So you're that's- talking about. If you go based on that number, we see a little bit higher than that. But if you go based on that number, that's one in five dollars that you spend on marketing right now is lost to fraud. I mean, that's that's too much to to ignore, isn't it? That is an absolutely insane number. So what what are those those common types? You mentioned sort of the paper clicks. What are those common types of frauds that we should be aware of? Well, you've got a variety of different types of fraud. It's, you know, you have click fraud, lead fraud, affiliate fraud, programmatic fraud, email marketing fraud. I mean, every channel of marketing has some level of fraud because there's a way to game that system. Um, like, and it, it also ranges. Like if you're buying from uh, just Google search, just on Google's network, you're probably five to 10% fraud. If you're buying on Google display network, you're at 50% fraud. If you're buying programmatic, 50% fraud. Affiliates, 45% fraud. So every channel has its own average of fraud, fraud that's associated with it. And then what we try to talk to people is like, first off, first question is identify how much fraud are you dealing with? And that's going to come down to how you're managing your campaign, what channels of marketing you're using. And at the end of the day, you can scan and figure out exactly what percentage you're dealing with. And then identifying it at a level deep enough that you can start doing something about it. Because, let's face it, I mean, the problem that you have, that everybody has in the marketing space wasn't created overnight, so it's not going to be fixed overnight. Sure, we have a real-time filter that you can flip on and block the fraud in real-time, but in many cases, you're still paying for it. So you want to identify it at a level that you can eliminate it from where you're buying it from, so you stop paying for it. And what's going to happen is, I mean, the obvious, if you stop paying for fraud, which is truly non-converting traffic, you see a lift in ROI. So who is it that's committing ad fraud then? Do we know who these people are or? Fraudsters. That's what we call them, right? I mean, beyond think, that, is there all... any sort of any sort of group that are using it to, to fund right. anything in particular? Or? Yeah, we find it organized crime mostly around the globe. Uh, because it takes, you know, when you look at a lot of like click forms, this is a group. Of organized like hundreds of people sitting in a, in a warehouse behind a computer at a tiny little desk, knowingly committing fraud, which is knowingly stealing money from people, and 
it's organized, right? So it's organized crime is essentially what's happening. And essentially, um, because of the privacy laws that exist, like, you know, like, oh, the cookie privacy law, you know, every, every website you visit now, you got to approve cookies or every site you go to, you know, to talk about privacy, mm. but being privacy that protects your rights also protects the rights of a fraudster. So it makes it more and more difficult legally to be able to identify these people and eliminate them. The problem with them, there's so many of them that even if you identify a group that's attacking you and you shut them off, it's like playing the game of whack-a-mole. They come back again and you keep shutting off, shutting off, shutting, and they just keep bouncing around because there's so many of them. And if there's a way to defraud what type of marketing you're doing, and there always is, they're going to continue to do it and make money. So the idea is to avoid it by understanding exactly where it's coming from and how to prevent that from coming in further. Wow. I, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I didn't expect the answer to be like just upgraded bank robbers, to be, <laughs> to, to, to be honest with you. So well, the difference with bank robbers, right? If you walk into a bank and hold them up with a gun, that you broke a law, right? Ad fraud is not as clear cut. Yeah. The laws are just starting to come out and it's, it's doesn't specifically talk about ad fraud, but there are some laws that have come out recent, probably in the last couple of years that, you know, when you identify somebody committing ad fraud, that you can go after them legally. Um, the problem is identifying their experts at hiding themselves, you know, making themselves look like a real person. Uh, and fraud comes in many different shapes and sizes when it comes to that stuff. We're, I'm, here's a great example. Um, in America, there's a commercial. It's probably a few years old at this point, but it's a picture. It's a, it's an older gentleman sitting on his back porch and he's in front of a laptop and he lifts up a credit card and he says, I'm about to make a purchase. And his voice is that of like a, an 18 year old girl. And that's a good example of credit card fraud, but he's not dumb enough to do that on his IP address sitting at home on his network at home, you know, because that, even though the IP address constantly changes, you know, legally they can go and recover that IP address from the system and find out exactly who committed it. So that individual has to hide themselves digitally on the internet so that they don't get caught doing what they do. And that's exactly what happens. They hide themselves in such a way that with the privacy laws, it's very difficult to uncover that very expensive and very litigious process. I mean, you, you mentioned sort of laws coming in to, to help police this sort of thing, but is there anything that companies like Google do to police it at all? I believe in the good of everybody, right? So I believe these big companies are doing stuff to identify fraud. In fact, if you're buying traffic from Google, you typically will get an, uh, a report every now and again that'll show you like all the traffic you bought. And then I'll have a, a column called Invalid Traffic where they discuss you know, the traffic that they found that was fraudulent after the fact and gave you credit back for it. Um, they're not catching it all. you know. Mm. Um, we're still seeing a lot that they're missing. Um, but they're... they're they generally do stuff. In fact, Google, because we won't pick it on Google because of obviously the 800-pound gorilla, right? Um, Google, I want to say it was in 2014, bought two fraud detection companies, uh, one called Adometry and one called Spider.io, if I remember correctly, um, for like a quarter of a billion dollars uh, between the two of them to help improve their fraud detection uh, techniques. So Yes, I do believe the bigger companies spend resources. And that's why, generally speaking, the bigger companies tend to have less fraud than the other channels. 
because they are they are focusing on that level of fraud. You're doing some type of fraud detection. But I also get a lot of people ask the same thing, like, is it in their best interest to get rid of all the fraud? That was going to be my next question. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it was coming because I, I hear that all the time. And I'm like, that's a morale question, really. I, I believe in the good in people. So I believe, yes, they're doing what they believe. Let's face it. Google has the resources to throw billions at, at solving the problem. They're probably not. Because they've got so many other, you know, coals in the fire that they're working on. Um, and fraud is just one aspect of it. So while I do believe they're spending money to try to solve it, I can, I can clearly see they're not, they, they haven't solved the problem. I, mean, I think that, that that's quite a diplomatic answer for, for quite a tricky question, I suppose, because you don't want to just be like, well, yeah, sort your stuff out. Come on. <laughs> I don't want them to shut my Google account down. Well, there's that as well. <laughs> okay. So what, what measures can we take then to ensure like, you know, to, to minimize the amount of fraud that is, that's going on or you know, anything like that? Well, the best way I can tell everyone it's, it's follow the money, watch your backend conversions, watch your data. Most people I talk to know they have a problem, right? And it, it's like, if you have a 5% problem, people kind of gets hidden in the noise. They really don't know it. Once it breaks 10, 15, 20%, they know that there's a problem. So when we get on the phone with a phone call with somebody, the first question, excuse me, first question I like to ask is what got us on this call? Because I know something triggered the event to say, I need a fraud solution company. Then they'll pick up the phone on the call. So we try to figure out what that event was. Did they just lose a client? Did they get sued for TCPA violation? Did they get a bad rash of leads? What happened that caused us to get on the call? And you can look at the data and you can identify that, yes, indeed, you have fraud. If you can zero in on the source, you can try to minimize your purchasing of that traffic. Um, I hate throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Like if you got a source of traffic that's pushing 25% for they still got 75% good. Mm. I hate to turn the source off altogether because that costs you money. You need the volume. Um, the truest, the only way that I know to get granular down to the individual click and the visitor is to employ a fraud detection solution. That's just, in fact, you know, 20 years ago, my wife and I started a marketing company and, and two years into it, we realized it was a fraud problem starting to emerge. So I figured, hey, let me just go find a fraud detection company, slap it on and call it a day. She said, let me focus on building my company. Well, in 2005, nothing existed. So that's when I said, well, I'm a developer. I can figure this out. And I started writing my own solution because I wanted to get granular with that data. And in 2005, you're talking about 18 years ago, it was fairly easy to identify and, and, and market. And then it, then it wasn't. And then it got more and more difficult. And then AI is kicking in and then machine learning is kicking in. And all these technologies are making it easier and easier for fraud, fraud, fraud committers to commit more fraud and harder for the fraud detection companies to find it. So uh, about 10 years ago, um, you're familiar with the MRC, the Media Rating Council? Uh, I'm not personally, no, but go on, explain okay. what that might be. So the MRC has been around for decades um, and they're known for setting standards of different different processes and stuff. And they do a lot of different things. But one of the things they did about 10 years ago is they set standards for a fraud detection company to follow. They're publicly available. 
So if companies want to start you know, delving into what it takes to build a solution internally, there's a published set of um, standards that they should be following in order to eliminate fraud internally. Um, it always comes down to the question note, is it cheaper to build or, or buy, right? And we like to think it's, it's way more cost effective to purchase a solution than it is to, to build one just because we know what it costs to build one. But essentially, uh, so anyway, they built a set of standards and says fraud detection solutions should be following this process at minimum. This is the minimum standards that they need to follow. And while they're right now probably 75 to 100 different companies in the marketplace that do some type of fraud detection, there's literally only eight that are certified to follow those standards. So that's important. Like if you're going to you're gonna lease a, a solution from somebody, make sure that they're following the basic standards that have been established by the MRC. Um, but essentially, like I said, getting back to your question, it's not simple. I mean, it used to be a lot easier to be able to do it. Um, now you can identify, hey, in general, I have a fraud problem and it may be coming from you know, paid search or paid social or from affiliate marketing or programmatic. But getting down to the level of detail that you need to take some action against it is a lot more difficult today than it was yesterday. So, I mean, what we say, like, you know, that that's what to do once you've identified that you do have a, you know, you might be having a fraud problem. What might be some of the triggers that would initiate that thought? What can we look out for to say, ah, I think something's going on here? What are those indicators that you're being defrauded? Sure. Um, so there's a lot of them and, all the, and, and every channel's got something different. So let's say if you're buying a lot of search traffic, you could have a high number of clicks, a low conversion rate or a high number of clicks and an artificially high conversion rate. So something that doesn't seem normal, like if something's too good to be true, it, it, it usually is. So if you're normally converting on your website at one or 2% and all of a sudden you get a source of traffic converting at 10%, look at the conversions. What's the conversion mean to you? So um, one of the best ones is like lead generation. Most companies ultimately come down to a point of generating a lead or a sale or something. And lead generation is fairly simple. Let's say, like on my site, I want to I want to drive in new clients, so I drive traffic to the site. People, you know, peruse my site. They say yes, I want to talk to an expert. They fill out a form, which is a lead. They hit submit, and it comes into our network. First thing you want to do is you want to find out did the person actually fill out that form? Because lead fraud will actually come along and fill out the form, and maybe what they'll do is they'll come along and say, "Hey, Joe." Here's Joe's information, his email address, his phone number, everything about him. Yes, he wants to talk to somebody about fraud detection. And then somebody gets the lead on my team, looks it up, says, okay, I'm going to call Joe. They pick up the phone. They've got the right number. They call Joe. And all of a sudden, Joe says, I never filled out that form. Right? That's a sign of fraud. Or if your phone starts ringing and you don't recognize the number, chances are you don't answer the call. So another example of, of fraud identifying that you're having a fraud problem is you have a, a group of leads that are hard to reach because they're not expecting your call. But like I said, if you were, if you fill out that form yourself and hit submit and a couple minutes later, your phone rings, you're kind of expecting the call. So you, you tend to mm -hmm. end calls, but if you don't recognize the, the phone number, most people nowadays don't answer their call, their phone. So it's paying attention to details like that, or maybe you're an e-commerce site and all of a sudden you start noticing your chargeback ratio going up. That's another sign that fraud could be at play. Because we run into a lot of companies that, you know, once they breach a certain level of fraud on their merchant account, they then get pushed to a high, um, what do they call them? I'm running a blank, I'm drawing a blank right now. 
uh, high risk account mm. or merchant account. So now they now they pay higher fees and everything else. And then if they go over a certain percentage of fraud on that high risk account, merchant account, then they lose their ability to charge credit cards on the internet. And that's pretty much death for an e-commerce store. Sure. So these are things, these are some signs to look out for. Um, you can have a campaign that's running on programmatic where the average click-through ratio is, you know, 0.15%. And all of a sudden you're getting a three or 4% click-through ratio on an ad. You know, if your normal conversion rate is, is a certain level and you see a significantly higher or significantly lower, something's going on. And those are just some symptoms and signs that you'll start to pick up on that or that you might have a fraud problem. You mentioned earlier in, in answer to one of my previous questions, Rich, that uh, machine learning AI is making things harder to detect and harder to stop fraudsters. Is there any applications for AI in the prevention? Is there any way that we can be using AI to help identify problems or even identify fraudsters at all? There are some solutions in the marketplace that use AI. We tested AI heavily ourselves. We don't trust it. It's not there yet. Um, a lot of false positives and, and our claim to fame with our product is no false positives because in, in, in my space or in any space, right? You buy a piece of software, like you're using uh rest stream right now, right? Or restream. Restream. Sure. Yeah. Restream to, to do this. You bought the product, you expected to do a job and that's what it's supposed to do. Right. So mm. run the software and it does it. Why? Because it's doing what it's supposed to do in my space. Ad for detection companies are supposed to identify fraud. But on average, most fraud vendors in the marketplace have a 10 or 15% false positive rate, which means they're mismarking real people as fraud. Uh, on our side, the, the, the niche that we split, we chose to pick was a performance marketing side. You don't have room for false positives. I'll give you an example. I have a large gaming company out of Germany. They have tens of thousands of people logging in to play games every single day. And we're using the front end to prevent uh, bots from logging in and creating bogus accounts if we're wrong even a fraction of a percentage they're going to have hundreds of people not being able to log into their system making phone calls to say why can't i log into my system that their phone's ringing off the hook my phone's ringing off the hook so what we focus on is performance marketing because of our solution being so accurate we basically claim there's no false positives we have a 99.999 percent accuracy rating when identifying fraud so again when you're looking at that, that's marketing space, it comes down to what's important for you. And then like for us, it's making sure that, you know, you're, you're accurately identifying the fraud. Do you, I mean, you say, you you know, mistrusting of AI. Do you think there will become a time when it will start to work in the way you want it to? Or is it very much just a, it's just not going to happen for us? Oh, I believe it will. I believe there's nothing you can't accomplish through code. I'm a developer. So, right. Anything you can think of, you can do in code. I just think the AI models that we tested and played with weren't quite up to snuff where we want them yet. So we, we still deploy machine learning and we deploy it in a way where machine learning for us is there to siphon through the billions of visitors that we see every day and help us identify um, anomalies. And then the anomalies go to our engineering team who have been working on this project for the last 10, 15 years know what to look for and know how to identify it. So we don't trust the machine to make that judgment for us. We do it ourselves. We just have the machine make the recommendations to say, hey, I think I found something that I don't understand. What is it? Mm. And be the retrain and say, nope, that's good. Oh, no, that's not good. Let's fix, let's put out a, a new update to solve that, that type of fraud. 
and roll it out. And now machine learning is just rummaging through that data. And it's funny, we get hits in our machine learning every day. There's new threats coming out every single day. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's lots of fun. It's uh, the, And then we even have one of our, um, uh, a couple of our people, they act as good uh, white hat hackers. So their job is they know all the stuff that we look for. They understand the platform inside and out. And it's their job to get around our system, knowing everything we do. You know, so a fraudster doesn't know what we do. You know, so it's the old mechanism, you know, security through obscurity is the old, the old saying, right? But our team knows what we do and their job is to see if they can get around it. If they can get around it, then we got to solve that problem. So we have a combination of machine learning and some fun hacking going on in the company at all times to try to figure out if we have loopholes, if something's different, new version of software comes out, does it have, you know, its own security holes? So we have to test every browser, every version. I mean, there's a lot of work to truly solving the problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you say, what, 500 billion you said at the top of this conversation about it? Uh, it was 100 billion, wasn't it? Sorry. Right. Yeah. There's 500 billion in spend and over and 100 billion in, in loss to fraud. So I tell people it's no longer a question of if you have fraud, you have fraud. It's just um, how much fraud do you have? <laughs> Excellent stuff, Rich. I'm going to start um, wrapping up our conversation here today. It's been uh, it's absolutely been an education for me. You certainly opened my eyes to a lot of things. So, um, bearing that in mind, if you could give everybody listening to this conversation, if you could give them one absolute golden rule, what is the most important thing that they need to take away from this conversation about ad fraud today? Oh, there's so many things. Uh, the one thing I can say that you could take away from this conversation is you have fraud and you just need to look for it because most of the time I talk to people and they don't understand that they think, no, no, not me, not me. It doesn't happen to me, but a hundred billion out of 500 billion was stolen. How could you possibly think you were not affected? Like everybody's affected. It's just to what level, right? And what's your comfort level? You know, if you're the brand and you're buying your comfort level is zero. You want no fraud in your traffic, right? Is that re- is that reality? Can you make that happen? You know, and you have to be realistic about things. Like, what are you doing to stop fraud? But at the end of the day, the, the question I always tell people is just: if the only thing you get out of this call is you have some level of fraud in your network, then you got a good got, got some good information. <laughs> you got some value out of this. Fantastic yes. stuff, <laughs> Rich Khan. Thank you so much for joining me for this. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Joe. Well, there we go. That was Rich Khan from Anura on ad fraud. Some incredible insights there. I really enjoyed that conversation. Remember to subscribe to the Essential B2B podcast wherever you get your pods and give us a five-star rating where possible. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Essential B2B podcast. 